For this talk today, we're going to be about as practical as it gets. We're going to look at being very practical, and we're actually going to practice what we talk about. We've done it now. This will be, we do it once a year. I'm really talking about having a daily devotional time. That sounds so Christian-y, and I don't like it. What it really is, it's, it's kind of a quiet time. It's having time with God, with Jesus in the morning or in the evening or at your lunchtime in the afternoon, whenever it works for you. But one of Creekside's values is that we grow in our intimacy and our relationship with God. Would you agree you cannot grow in relationship with anybody if you don't have time with them? So we're going to talk about PB&J today. Remember growing up? I remember when I was in school, my mother would make me these sandwiches, and she'd give me a little brown bag. Did you ever get tuna fish? I hated it. Why is that? Well, because the tuna fish, it would soak through the bread. So by the time you got it, the bread would be mushy, and that was back in the day when you folded it in wax paper. Remember that? Yeah, that's old. Some of you go, wax what? But she'd fold it in wax paper so the smell of the tuna by lunchtime would get into my banana or my banana would get into the tuna. And pretty soon, this, it, was, it was ugly. I always loved the days, though, when I got peanut butter and jelly. It was simply the thing that would sustain me. I looked forward to that. A little bit of sweet, a little bit of sour, a lot of bread, and it usually didn't soak through. It's what, isn't that what we all grew up with? being sustained by peanut butter and jelly? Well, the scripture says this in Psalm 34, 8. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you when you run to him. There's something, loved ones, that we can embrace and take. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 15, 16. He said, thy word did I find, and I ate them. And it became my joy and my delight. God uses the idea that his word is like food that sustains us. And so I want to talk to you today using the acronym PB&J. Except instead of it being peanut butter and jelly, we're going to talk about prayer, Bible, and journaling. And we're going to get a moment. We're going to even be able to invite you to be a part of it to participate in it. And I'll I'll get to that in a minute. Don't panic. Don't walk out on me. John 15, 15 talks about building a relationship and a friendship, not just being a servant. I love this. A genuine relationship with anybody, uh, it's about going to them, not just going to them when you have a desperate need or when you're in a crisis. I mean, how many of us, you know, we've had teenagers maybe, the only time they ever came to us is when they wanted gas money. You didn't, feel like, you didn't feel like a parent, you felt like an ATM machine. And you realize, you know, you, sometimes you probably thought, you know, I just wish this, my, my child, my son or my daughter would get it, that I'm not just the, I'm not the ATM machine. I want to have relationship with them. And sometimes we treat God like that. Everything that we do is based out of crisis. But Jesus said, I didn't come to call you slaves. I, I, I come to call you friends. A a relationship is about being with someone because you like their company and their presence. You value what's happening in their life, and you want to share life 
with them. You want them to speak into your life, and you want to be able to speak to them. And see, friends, Jesus wants that kind of relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just be your personal 911 dispatcher. Oh, God, this is going wrong. Help me, serve me, do for me. John 15, 15 says, Jesus came not only as our Savior, but he came as our friend. He came into the human race so that we could experience the kind of relationship with God and see how Jesus did it with his Father so that we could do it as well with Christ and walk in relationship with him. And now through the Holy Spirit, each of us can not only access salvation, experience eternal life through Jesus Christ, but we can engage in a truly ongoing friendship built around a relationship, not a religion. And you hear me, we talk a lot about that here at Creekside. We're not into religion. That's about trying to get to God. A relationship is all about this God who loves us so much that he come to us so that we could see and experience what the Father is really like. 2 Timothy 2.19 talks about building a firm foundation for living. Paul wrote to the, his, his protege, and he said this, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord should abstain from wickedness. See, when you get your identity when you know whose you are, it is so much easier to live out what you're supposed to live out. I do things for Trina that I wouldn't do for anybody else because they're kind of small and they're kind of just, are you kidding me? But I really don't question them because I love her so much and I do them. And it's really I do the same thing with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because I love him and I want to please him and I know what he has done for me, I'll do anything for him. And this foundation of, of understanding who you are in him is so important. One of my personal heroes due to his greatness as a basketball coach and a man of faith, see a picture of him here of John Wooden. Um, this is what he said. He said, little things well done is probably the greatest secret to success. If you do enough small things right, big things can happen. It's the things that we do behind the scenes that establish the foundation that we need. John Wooden was not only one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time, but he was also one of the greatest men of faith that I know. And very simple in his faith. This is what he would do every basketball season. Now, if, if you're not familiar with sports, or maybe he's way before your time, he, he's been the most successful basketball coach of, coach of all time. There was a time when the UCLA basketball team, I mean, they run the table like for 16 years. He worked with the best of the best, the blue chip of the blue chip players. But every season when the, on the first day of practice, when the players would come in, this is what he'd do. He'd call them out to the center of the court, and they'd have their shoes and their socks on, and he'd say, now I want every one of you to take your shoes and your socks off. What? They've been doing this for years. And he would sit them down, and he would show them how to put on their socks. Because usually when you play basketball, uh, you, 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 put, you wear two pairs so you don't get blisters. And he would say this, one of the most important things you're going to do this year is have a firm foundation. Because if you have a problem with your feet, you're going to have problems playing. And so he would take these, 
these, these, uh, the highest of skilled blue chip college athletes, they'd be sitting down and he would teach them how to put one sock on at a time, make it smooth, make it tight, and then put on a second sock over it again, make it smooth, make it tight. Then he would teach them how to lace their, their shoelaces on their, on their basketball shoes. Why? So they would be tight, secure, snug. They wouldn't slide. There wouldn't be causing of friction. And then there wouldn't be blisters that would make it impossible for the players to play or they'd have to miss games. Why? Well, he was teaching them the key is everything starts with the foundation you build on. A proper foundation and good fundamentals, loved ones, will take you places. See, you can, you can know a lot about God, but if you don't have the fundamentals in place, you're really never going to grow. There's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of people that have, you know, they kind of know the Bible, but fundamentally they no longer grow because they're building everything that they do now based on past information. We've been talking a lot about James 122 Christianity. That's what our band of brothers and soul sisters is built around. Hearing and doing. And today, we're not talking about pie in the sky, mystical meditations of God. We're talking about how we can develop spiritual maturity, which will never happen by osmosis, just by hanging around, and it will never happen suddenly. There are no sudden spiritual giants. It happens in layers and layers and layers. It's like eating. No one gets nutritionally healthy in one meal. Nobody gets fat because of one meal. And it's the same way spiritually. You will not grow spiritually because you just go to church. It will help you a little bit. But ultimately, your greatest growth will come about because of what you do. How you take care of yourself spiritually. And what we want to remind you of today, because our value is not that we sit here and feed you and just have a nice little gathering, but that we build spiritual giants who can go out there, win the battles against the enemy, win the battles in life, and be difference makers, because that's what God calls us to. But it doesn't just happen. We all have to make a choice. One of my major, I, I don't, you know, I look back, I only have probably and I tell people this, I've thought about it, I really only have one regret in my life. You know what it is? I know you want to know. It's this, that I'm not playing the piano right now. When I was in fourth grade, uh, my stepmother made me take piano lessons. I hated it. You know why? Because she would make, I would go home every day and I would have to do scales and, and they had, is, is it a metronome? What, what, is that what it's called? And, and that thing would just go back and forth, and I had to do this thing with it. I can't remember what it was, but I had, to, I had to practice scales. I had to stretch my fingers. And guess what was going on outside my door? Football playing. We had the biggest yard. So everybody would come over. And by the time I got done, everybody was tired and had to go home and do their stuff. And I hated it. But my biggest regret now is that I did hate it because shortly after that, uh, about within that next year, my, uh, my father and her divorced, so I never took any more piano lessons. Well, I'm not sure if I could have been a great piano player or a great NFL player. I guess we'll never know. 
absence since I didn't get to carry on with both of them. But can I tell you something? If you want to be great at something, if you want to grow in something, you know what you got to do? You got to do the scales. And it's not always comfortable. It's not always pleasant. It's not always fun. It is simply down and dirty discipline. 30 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Paderewski, the Polish pianist, great Polish pianist, concert pianist, um, he was asked to do some work and play the piano during the, the wartime. And he said, I will only do it if you allow me to practice my scales for three hours a day. And the reason he said I got to practice for three hours a day before I do any concerts is because of this. If I miss one day, I will know. If I miss two days, the concert goers will know. If I miss three days of scales, the world will know. And, and, and see, loved ones, when we don't have time with God, pretty soon we know. <laughs> and then when we miss a lot of time with God, pretty soon the people around us are well aware of it. And then pretty soon the world's going to know. We're no different. So we've got to have and establish this foundation. Now, um, I know that this is uncomfortable territory for a lot of you. And especially when we get to the place where we're going to do it today. And let me, let me help you with that. Do you remember last week I told you about my kung fu kick-in? Uh, first service, I just threw out this thought. It, w- it really wasn't serious. It was just trying to be funny. I said, and by the way, if anybody wants to come fix a door, just let me know. Well, by the time I got home, I had a text from uh, one of the brothers here, Rich, and he said, Pastor, I'll come fix it. And then uh, Pat gives me a text a little bit later and says, hey, I'll come fix your door. I was just kidding. But th- this is the truth. My car right now, it's uh, the, <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it runs good. It's 14 years old. And, uh, and, and the paint, it's going to look like the skunk mobile pretty soon. And so just in case there's any used car salespeople, but lest I digress. Um, so Rich says, I'll come over and fix it. And I thought, oh, my wife will be so happy. And then it started to uh, occur to me that this is something I should be able to do. And then it starts to occur to me, I'm going to invite this man over to my house. I'll come back to that in a minute. I want to give you three things this morning. I will come back to that story because I I had an aha moment with it. Uh, First thing is prayer. Peanut butter and jelly, PB and J. First thing we got to do is we want to pray. I want to read to you a passage from Luke. You've heard me uh, reference this, preach from it probably, I don't know, I'm going to say 50 times over the years, because it's so foundational to so much of what we do here. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. It's about two sisters. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, Martha had a sister whose name was Mary. Notice what Mary does. She sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Now, lest we make Martha the villain and Mary the hero, 
right before this, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which is all about doing stuff, helping people, serving God through serving people. I'm not here to make her the villain or marry the hero. We're just trying to show you the contrast of two different personalities and how it gets worked out and the importance of prioritizing. It is never, never either or, either be a Martha or be a Mary. No, it is learning from Martha and Mary to be a Marthy or something like that, <laughs> to kind of mix them together, okay? You hear me? It's both and, not either or. But it's funny that Jesus ties these two stories together. But he says, uh, Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet, was listening to what he said. But Martha and Mark were really distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you know that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. So she's upset, you know, you know how that'd be. You got big guests, you know, surprise guests coming over and, you know, you just need a little help. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about so many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken from her. What I want you to see, loved ones, why this thing, this, this quiet time, this devotional time, this few minutes with God every day is so important. Because what it does is it calms your spirit in the busyness of life, in the stress-filled times, and it helps you separate the eternal from the temporal. Or, if not separate, at least keep them in perspective to realize that the stuff that happens here is so important, but it's not eternally important. And some of us get so caught up in the temporal that we forget that there is an eternal aspect of our life that we need to make sure that we're fully engaged in. Mary had to choose and to prioritize what is important in her life. And can I tell you something? You have to do the same. And what you see here, this is a model really of prayer. I mean, you don't see her kneeling, but she's sitting before the Lord. And what is she doing? She is listening to his word. When you come, when you make a decision to pray, loved ones, that's what it is all about. It's all about a relationship where you come and you simply sit with the, <coughs> excuse me, where you just sit with the Lord and, and, and you do these other things that we're going to talk about, but you talk to him. Lord, this is, this is my struggle. This is what I need help with. And then you make it not just a monologue, not a 911 call, but you make it a dialogue where you're listening to his voice. It is not going to be audible. It will be impressionable. It will be quiet. It could be like a whisper. But when you begin to hear that voice, it will challenge you. It will encourage you. It will correct you. It will give you life. And that only happens, friends, when you take the position and the stance of what Mary does here, which is what? Sit. Stop. Listen. Engage. And as you set up this PB&J, prayer, Bible study, and journaling time, let me challenge you, while you're here today, make a standing time and place to be with your Lord. 
What's the number one reason that we don't get focused on and we don't have a dedicated time with God each day? I'll tell you what it is, hands down. It's not, it's most of us, it's because we're busy. If you want to know Jesus Christ better, you have to set aside a time and a place to be with him. I'm sorry. Why do marriages break up? Why do children and parents struggle? It's because they lose their intimacy of time together where there's heart being shared as opposed to just the busyness and practicalities of life. That's why marriages break up. Most of the time, they just drift apart. Why do people just drift away from Jesus? Why are they here one day? Because they've been drifting. Oh, we don't even see it until it's too late. But that's what people do. Jesus, remember, his ministry grew wildly popular. Literally, wherever he would go, people would throng. And so he had to prioritize what? His time with his father. It says in a number of places in the Gospels that he went to a certain place. And it was a certain place that even the disciples knew about because when they wanted to go find him, they'd track him down like a bunch of bloodhounds, you know. Jesus, the people want you. And he'd say, just hold on. I'm, I'm with my father. Because that's how he got his marching order. Listen to what John 5, 19 says. Verily I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. And later in chapter 12 of John, he says, I only speak what I hear the father saying. He says, that's how I get my marching orders every day. Jesus sees that if there's time for a relationship with God, that without that, there's no genuine power that came from him. You'll see in the little journaling example that you have in your booklet today, I wonder, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. I wonder if the reason they noticed that everything that flowed out of Jesus' life is because of his prayer life. So I want to challenge you, loved ones. This week, start with a time and a place. Mark 1, 35 through 37 says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If the Son of God, God himself in the flesh needed that, is it possible that maybe you and I do to calm our spirits, calibrate our hearts, organize our day, be ready for all of the stuff that we're going to have to face. So how do you prepare a place? Let me just quickly, I mean, this is practical, but this is what I do. I got my Bible. I bring my Bible. I bring my journal. That's my journal. This is what I write in, my thoughts. I put pictures in here of my grandson, my wife, my kids, you. I put notes in here, but I write in the Bible, what's God speaking to me? I bring a pen. Doesn't do any good to come if I don't have a pen. I always bring something to drink. You know why? Because when I go out with a lot of people, what do we do? We go out and have a drink of something or something to eat. So what I do is I kick Trina out of bed, and, uh, and she goes and makes coffee for me. <laughs> so while I'm kind of waking up, oh, Lord, help me today, and then I go down, and by that time I start smelling, I go down and grab a cup of coffee, 
grab my little grits in a bowl because, you know what, I love to eat with people too. So I take and do the things with Jesus what I do with people. I eat and I drink and then I listen and I pray. And that's about 10 minutes. And I'm not saying that's how long you got to do it. You might do it for three or five. But make it like you're meeting with somebody. Make it real because if you do it, it is real. And then you don't have to do this, but you know what? I'm kind of one of these people in the morning when I get up, my whole mind is thinking about what am I going to do today? And pretty soon, I'm writing or reading or thinking about Jesus, and then all of a sudden, oh, I got three appointments. This is what I got to do. So this, this is what I do. I have my daily planner with me. So what I do then is on my daily planner, if I get a thought of something, I've got my little post-its right here, and then I put the thought on it, and then I post it over here to the left to make sure I get to it that day, and then I, and then I just slide my planner aside because now I, I don't have to think about it. I won't forget it. Or I don't have to get up and do it. I know this is really practical, but see, loved ones, you, you have to, I have to be disciplined and to develop a discipline like this. Because there's so many things that can sidetrack me and you. So I have a nice little place in my office. I, out, I overlook the window. If I would have done this sooner, I would have showed you. I take pictures in the morning of the sun coming up outside my office window at home. I do my devotional time at home because by the time I get here, the afterburners are going. And I don't have time. And I also do that because then I can challenge people here. I can say, you know something? Probably a lot of you think that I come here and, you know, oh, roll in about 10 o'clock in the morning maybe and kick my feet up and have a cup of coffee and do devotions until noon and, you know, and maybe pray till 1 and, you know, maybe see somebody until 2 and then go home at 3. No, I, 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 I do what I know you have to do. So I'm up at 5.30, 5.45 doing my time before I come here. Because when I come here, I got work to do. This is my relationship. This isn't sermon prep for me, loved ones. This is Terry prep. This is Terry Jesus time, not time. Now, every once in a while, I'll share stuff from my journal with you, but that's never the focus. I don't do that for you. I do it for me. And that's why you need to do it. The second thing is the Bible. Once you get your place and you pray and just invite Jesus into the moment, you've got to have your Bible. Joshua 1.8.9 says this, don't get off track. Don't go to the right or the left. So it's to make sure that you get to where you're going. Don't for a minute let this book of the revelation of the Bible be out of mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice everything within it. Then you'll get to where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Strength courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. And God has you every step of the way. Hebrews 2.1 says this, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. What have we heard? We've heard from the Bible. Lest we drift away. I just want to say that this week, this month, this year, some of you are going to drift. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 talks about how Christ is the anchor to our soul. Most people, they don't just walk away from the things of God. They drift away. 
That's why Hebrews here is so clear. Give earnest heed to what you've heard. The Greek word there is proskeo, and it means to anchor or to moor a ship or a boat to what it is you've heard. And if you're not anchoring your soul to something, loved ones, sooner or later, you'll probably drift. And you may not even drift out of church. You might not even drift away from God, but you may drift into sin. And I want to protect our people. But it's like a doctor. I can give you the prescription, but if you don't take it, it ain't going to happen. You are going to have to take it. So this week, we have a Bible reading plan. It's, you know, those little slips that we get. You don't have to follow that. And let me tell you, let me make sure you understand this. Sometimes there's four chapters on the day. I don't get through all four of them all the time. Sometimes you just need to read one chapter. Maybe you just want to start in the book of uh, of the gospel of a great gospel. It would be Luke or John. But just start reading the Bible or read Proverbs every day. This will, this will, I guarantee you, this will probably change your life if you did this. If you read Proverbs every day for one year, which means you'd go through the book of Proverbs 12 times, where uh, today is the 10th, you would read Proverbs 10 because there's 31 Proverbs. I'm not kidding you. This is the thing that has helped me in my life in counseling, in change, more than anything else in this world is the book of Proverbs. It is so practical. It is black and white. It is do, don't do. And that's a great place to start. But listen, loved ones, you've got to have the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. All the other books are good that you can read, but this is the only one that says it's God-breathed, God-inspired, life-changing. It will correct you. It will build you. It will challenge you. And when you begin to get it seeping deeply into your soul, it will change and transform you. The last thing is, and let me just say, this is, to do this is not just about learning. It's about changing. It's, about, it's not about acquiring information. It's about being transformed by it. That's why we're saying, you're hearing it a lot now, don't just be a hearer but be a doer. Because if you're not doing and you're hearing, then you're, 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 you're going to become a Pharisee. A Pharisee is simply someone who accumulates knowledge and then they become really religious and look down on everybody because they know so much, even though they're not doing so much. And, and that's the people that Jesus beat up on all the time. The only people he ever beat up on when he was on this earth. The last one is this, a journal. People ask me this all the time. Well, do I have to journal? I hate to write. I know. I love to write. So I'm at an advantage. No, you don't have to journal. But how are you going to remember some of the key things that God spoke to you two years ago? I was telling somebody recently, the reason I journal is I have about probably 12 journals on my shelves. And there's a number of reasons why I journal. Number one, because in the Bible, if somebody didn't journal, we wouldn't have the Bible. Matter of fact, if somebody didn't journal, basically most of we wouldn't have a lot of our books. I want my, my journals 
are so that my boys can see how a man of God who worked hard at being a man of God lived his life in the good, the bad, the ugly. So when I'm dead and I'm gone, they can still remember some of the lessons from dad. I do it for myself. Some of you had written me some very powerful, precious, nice, wonderful, affirming, building notes, and you sent them to me and not even knowing what I was going through, and those are in my journal. And sometimes I have to go back and read those to just realize I'm not such a bad person. There's somebody around here that still likes me, you know? And you say, well, that's stupid. Well, I don't know about you, but that's sometimes where I can go. And sometimes I got to go back and remember what God says about me, where I write in my journal, God, how could you love a sinner like me? Thank you. And it reminds me. Journaling is not easy. And it's not for everybody. So I'm not trying to put this on everybody that you've got to journal. I simply want to encourage you and show you that it is a viable possibility to help you grow in your time with Christ. I want to show you a little video from uh, one of our staff people. So a little testimony of this. I remember when I first came to work at Creekside and we were in staff meeting and Pastor Terry was sharing about this thing called journaling. I had never heard about it. And the more that he discussed or talked about what it was, I was terrified. I thought for sure, listen, I'm not a writer. I don't know how to journal. I am surely going to get fired if I can't do this good. So I remember um, thinking about the different things I would have to do to journal. And I thought, I don't even know how to navigate the word. I mean, Sometimes I don't even know what those little Bible bookmarks, abbreviations, sometimes I didn't know what some of them even meant. So I was pretty intimidated. Although I thought, you know, growing up in church, I knew the Bible. I really didn't know it until I started journaling. I remember going to my first journaling class. I, I was scared, but I signed up and then I showed up. I remember going into the room and there was all these ladies there and they all looked like they were really professional journalers. And so I was thinking, wow, they probably think, well, wow, she works there, so she's probably really good at it. But little did they know, I had never journaled before. Um, so I remember going around, and they said that we would each, you know, read a verse, and I was praying, oh, Lord, please don't let me get no hard names and that I can't pronounce. But um, I did that, and I was cool with it. And then they said, we'll take 20 minutes to write about what God is speaking to us. And at that moment, I froze. And I thought, well, sometimes I read a verse, and I don't even really understand it, let alone what is God trying to tell me through this. So while everybody was doing that, I would just simply write out my grocery list. Of course, I would write it in paragraph form, so if anybody noticed or looked over, they would think I was journaling. So I actually did that for the first couple of times, and I remember um, I would listen to people share during the share time, and I was kind of blown away by what these verses were saying to them, and how, how did they get that from that verse? Wow, that's so powerful. But what I start to notice after I continue to go is that that's how God was speaking to me too, but sometimes I was intimidated to write that down. So basically by listening to them, I was able to discover that, that God had a theme going here and he was trying to teach us something. So I continued to go to journaling and after about a month or two, I just continued to face my fear of it. I really started to realize how God speaks to me through his word. I was kind of blown away because, you know, the Bible was something I always knew about, but I never really realized just how powerful it is and just how it's my quiet time with the Lord is when he's speaking to me. So now I'm actually, um, you know, a couple years later, I'm leading a journaling class, which I never thought I would be. And I am so encouraged when um, new people come and, and they have some of the similar fears that I have. I feel that God is able to use me to kind of, you know, encourage them as well. So for all of you who maybe don't journal or don't think you're a writer or don't really understand how, you know, these complicated verses sometimes could speak to you, I just really encourage you just to face your fear 
do it, open up the Word of God, read it, and just pick out a verse that's speaking to you. Even if you think it might be something silly that you write, you'll be amazed at how much other people can learn from what you're sharing and how much God can change your life because of it. Amen. <clears throat> and she, I'm not kidding you, she has great insight to someone that's doing grocery lists too. <laughs> I, uh, I want to go back and conclude before, because I'm going to have you do this, but um, I had Rich come over on Tuesday morning to fix my door, and I'm thinking, you know what? I got like three other things I'd love for him to do. But I'm kind of embarrassed because I should be able to fix these. But I haven't, and I didn't, and my wife is very patient, doesn't nag me. So I said, Rich, I don't want to do this. And I was really nervous, and I'm not usually nervous around, you know, because I, I know Rich a little bit, not well, but, but I finally, I just said, Rich, do you think you could do this? You know why I was nervous? Because I wasn't skilled, and I thought that I should have been able to do those things. And he said this wonderful thing to me. I said, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, that I got to ask you to do this or help me with it. And he goes, you know something, we all, have our, we all have our areas of skill or expertise. And that's really true. Part of the thing is I don't want to take the time to do it. Because when I, when I get home, I, wanna, I got so many other things going. But, but you do need to take the time to do this. And the reason I tell you that story is that I had to get over the embarrassment as a man of not being able to do some things that I probably should be able to do that 95% of you men could do. But this is what I realized. I could either be embarrassed or never get my door fixed. And then pretty soon my wife probably wouldn't be that happy. And I decided I want to get it fixed. And can I tell you something? This, is, this word of God is what will fix you. It will be part of the process of fixing you. Now, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to journal. But you don't have to. Men, we don't like to do anything that we're not good at. Some of the women are the same way. That's all right. So you don't have to journal. Some of you would say, I'm not a good reader. Okay? Get tapes or get CDs of the Bible sometime. Some of you say, I don't like to write. I can't spell good. God doesn't do a spell check. I don't write very much. God doesn't weigh it. Okay? I just say, if I can get one thought for the day. In here, there's this... This process, we call it scripture. You read the scriptures. Here's the scriptures. You can read a little bit, all of it or none of it. It's from the James chapter 1 and from Psalm chapter 1. Read as much of it or as little as you want. And then you pick out one scripture, one sentence, one verse, and you write it here under the scripture. And then you make an observation about it. Now, this is a great... Uh, we call it the soap method, but I decided this last week I'm going to have, I'm going to make the sap method. We've probably got some saps in here, which means this. A lot of times the observation and the application can kind of get mixed up. Application is what is it saying to me? Because of this scripture, what am I going to do differently? And then you just close with a little prayer. So if you feel comfortable about making an observation over a scripture, then do it. Like, you know, uh, it says if, uh, James five verse, uh, James 1 verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask of our generous God. Okay, let's say that was your scripture. You might write that scripture there in scripture. Observation would be, wow, God says he's going to give me wisdom. Not always answers, but wisdom. 
then your application could be, God, I haven't been asking you for help with this relationship at work that's really been difficult. Today, I'm going to ask you for wisdom on how to treat this person so that we'll get along better. Then your prayer could be, Father, thank you for your word that promises wisdom. Help me to live out now uh, uh, to, to remember to daily ask you before I go to work and see this person to ask for your wisdom on how to deal with them. Amen. See, it can be that simple, but you take it with you. It gets ingrained in your heart. That's what we're going to do for 30 minutes. I'm going to give you about seven, eight minutes just to read. Uh, you, can, like, you might just want to read Psalm 1. It's shorter, I don't know, or some part of James. And then just write, write the scripture and write an application and then a little prayer. And then we're going to take about 10 minutes to share. You'll see here that this little booklet is for you because it really gives you an outline, an overview, and examples of what to do so you can take this with you. Here's a book I recommend that goes deep into detail of everything I've said today. It's called The Divine Mentor. It's in here, uh, the, the name. If you want to learn how to do this and why it's so important, this is a great book. It's called The Divine Mentor by Wayne Cordero. It's at the bottom of your notes on the inside. Okay? Let's invite Jesus to our time. I know, you, you know some of you got drinks there, and we've blown through this, but I want to give you an opportunity because then about the last 10 minutes we're going to share. Father, thank you, Lord that you love us enough, that you gave us this book, that you had people journal God thoughts that can teach us. So I pray that this morning you would teach us. Help us to learn from one another. Help us to get through our discomfort and teach us this morning, I pray. Amen. Hear me. Look at me before you start. Nobody has to journal. Anybody can pass. Or you can just get a thought, say, well, this was my scripture, underline the scripture, and then share your thought about the scripture if you don't write it. Or you can just say, I'd like to pass and listen to everybody else. Okay? Nobody's going to look down on you. If you're a guest today, welcome to Creekside. We do things like this. And uh, um, come back next week. We'll probably do something different.